Would you welcome a 24-hour warehouse in this area? It wouldn't bother me. The traffic's horrible here as it is, so a little more traffic ain't gonna make any difference. I think they pretty much got them over here already. They're already in the area. I don't know about 24 hours, but yeah, there's enough warehouses around here working. Why do you need a 24-hour warehouse? So let's say it's <laughs> like a uh, it's like an online store or an online company opens uh, a big 24-hour warehouse. So I mean, like, <laughs> let's say it's right here on this corner. No. <laughs> Why is that? Warehouses belong uh, hidden away. <laughs> Why? Why? They're ugly. <laughs> but I think we probably have some already in Torrance and Wilmington. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends what kind of business it is. I mean, how controlled it is. Is it Amazon? Who is it? Let's say it was one of those two. Okay. I have a friend who's a coordinator for Amazon. They're in Torrance, so I know he's 24 hours, so I don't see why it wouldn't work here. But oh. I I'm not a business person. Welcome to Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young. In Changing Places, we explore our continuing and complex relationships with the built world around us. I'm your host, Miriam So. We've all been there. You're on the road to somewhere as the great gray expanse of a freeway stretches before you into eternity. You look out the windows, lost in thought, as you begin to notice one warehouse after another after another. Before you know it, you've reached your destination. The warehouse is a distant, forgotten memory. Or are they? Chances are the clothes you're wearing, the phone in your pocket, and the toaster on your counter came through one of those warehouses at some point in their life cycle. While the warehouse may seem like a hulking mass without any relevance to your life, it's one of the most important aspects of your life you never knew existed. Let's learn a little more about the industry. The warehouse sector is brimming with life. It's nearly a half trillion dollar global market. Longpoint Realty Partners recently raised $669 million to invest in U.S. warehouses near urban centers, far surpassing their $450 million goal. DH Property Holdings has a three-story development in Brooklyn, while they're co-developing an 18-acre multi-story distribution center, which is near completion. Toronto, Vancouver, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. are among the cities planning to build multi-story warehouses. Not all warehouses are welcome in some cities and towns. A proposed 24-7, 1.1 million square foot warehouse in West Hanover Township, Pennsylvania, with 200 loading docks and a 500-car parking lot, has local residents up in arms. In this episode of Changing Places, we're going to explore what happens when a sector is pushed to the brink. Innovation is the word of the day, and an industry evolves to meet the varied needs and interests of every stakeholder across the value and supply chain. Our guests are Jeff Miller, head of industrial properties at Oxford Properties, and Eric Foster, principal practice leader industrial capital markets at Avis & Young. They'll take us through the warehouse industry and offer us their insights, expertise, and what they're seeing on the ground and in the years ahead. We'll begin with Jeff Miller. Welcome to Changing Places. Jeff, I want to begin by getting your point of view on how the current state of warehouse and industrial land stands right now. You know, the reality is the industrial and logistics asset class has been on an amazing run the past few years. You speak to anyone who's been in the industry regardless, quite frankly, of their career length, and they'll probably tell you they've never seen an acceleration like the current environment. 
And when we speak to folks around the globe in every major market, we, we hear the same thing. Rental rates have never been higher. Demand's never been so strong. But overall, it has been a great time to be in our sector. Well, with, with regards to the global supply chain, as the world begins to reopen and there's still some congested ports, we have goods sitting in warehouses and containers for long periods of time, and, and the supply chain continues to sort itself out. As this is all happening, what have you seen with regard to the way warehouses and their owners are adapting to the moment and, and what the future looks like? Yeah, it's a great question, and you're correct. I mean, supply chains are a big issue. And if you look at the last couple of decades, the world almost got too efficient and supply chains really were lengthened out and, uh, and complex. And now they're kind of broken. I think the way owners have responded is really to try and supply new warehouse space in key trade markets. So your ports of entry, your coastal markets, but also trying to locate those facilities closer to the population, which is becoming more and more important with expectations on quick delivery times. And, you know, this is all easier said than done because finding land in those areas, both at a coastal market or close to a population base is tough to do. And when, you know, when you look at how is this going to work itself out, uh, one of the real issues that is going to take some time is labor. Accessing labor is a huge issue right now for the industry. And obviously, this is not special just to our industry, but but many others as well. I'd like to get your take on multi-story warehouses. I know Oxford Properties is behind the 700,000 plus square foot two-story warehouse Riverbend Business Park in Vancouver, British Columbia. Can you tell us more about it and what you think it signals to the warehousing industry? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're pretty excited at Oxford for you know, delivering the first large-scale multi-level in, in Canada. You know, these multi-level warehouses have been around in Asia for a couple decades now and have finally made their way to North American markets. We're seeing a lack of available land in dense markets. The price of land has really accelerated and lease rates have followed suit. So finally, you know, it justifies building these in select markets. As far as what it signals... First, it's actually really refreshing, you know, to see the development community get more creative for industrial development. Typically, we've got four walls in the shape of a rectangle. And so these buildings are complicated. So I do, you know, and we should give credit to the industry for for getting a little bit more creative. I think densifying these industrial developments is a good thing uh, versus your typical, you know, greenfield site. Uh, it's a more efficient use of land and, quite frankly, better for the environment compared to converting, you know, the next farmer's field for a warehouse. It really does support the increased demand to have products and inventory close to where people live, because I think that's where you're going to see these multi-level warehouses built. Considering how long it takes to build a warehouse or retrofit one so it meets commercial, local and industry standards, do you think multi-story warehouses will become the norm in a decade or is this more case by case based on the needs of a big logistics firm or retailer? Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll become the norm. However, the pace of multi-story will definitely pick up, particularly in your large, dense and expensive markets. So you're seeing the first ones of this kind being built in markets like Vancouver, Seattle, the boroughs of New York have several of these facilities underway. And they're all in places where you virtually have 
no land available and there's really, really high barriers to entry. So it'll probably be more on a case by case basis, but the likely driver will be the price of land and also the ability to achieve the rental rates that that justify the extra cost of, of going vertical. Well, before we wrap up, Jeff, are there any trends you're seeing in the warehouse space over the next few years? Uh, I know there's a lot of change happening, but are there any trends you see emerging for better or worse? The ongoing adoption of e-commerce, there's going to be a continued need to locate goods closer to the population base. And this might be in smaller centers. Um, They're calling them micro-fulfillment centers. But I also think it's going to involve the ongoing integration of or blending of industrial and traditional retail to address how consumers buy, consume, and also return their goods. So the utilization of store networks as part of the overall supply chain, I think is going to continue to to blend over the next few years. I think at a building level, without getting into too many physical characteristics, we are going to see more infrastructure like power and connectivity for increased robotics and things like electric vehicles and fleets that are we are definitely at the doorstep of, and that will certainly continue to gain momentum. And when it comes to micro-fulfillment centers, are they pop-up types of warehouses or they're there for like a permanent structure sort of in a, in a more urban area? I'd say they're gaining momentum. They are permanent for the most part. They are smaller in footprint and format. And really what they are intended to serve is high volume and being close to the population on quick delivery. So for instance, some very large retailers that may have a 100,000 square foot retail store are actually implementing these micro fulfillment centers in the back of a traditional retail store to kind of churn through their high volume goods. Are the occupants of multi-story warehouses varied or is it a few big multinational players that are part of it? And who benefits and uses these multi-story warehouses? I mean, to date in North America, there's only been a couple delivered. And for the most part, they have been occupied by your very large e-commerce retailers or traditional retailers. So there's not a lot of case study on them yet. When we approached the design of our multi-story, it was no different than any other building we develop. We had flexibility in mind, so we could have, in fact, split the building up into, you know, up to five, six customers. It turns out we may end up having one customer in the building. So to date, it really is your larger retailers, whether it's e-commerce or traditional, that have looked at these facilities. Will multi-story warehouses follow wherever a big multinational lands, Uh, for example, Amazon moving into the D.C. area? Yeah, and that particular group has, you know, I'd say their own dedicated program. These facilities, again, I go back to what what are the what's the criteria for where these are going to be built? And I think it's going to have more to do with the dense population base, the expense of land and in markets that have a super high barrier to entry. So you think about these being built in, you know, the Bronx or Queens. I mean, you cannot source land to build in traditional industrial facilities. So it just makes a lot of sense to densify. And with industrial logistics, we often, you know, construct and develop the buildings prior to a tenant commitment. 
So I think I think that will continue even with the multi-level. So it's going to be driven by more the geography and the barriers to entry than a particular tenant. So you build the buildings before there's a tenant. That's That seems kind of risky. <laughs> it is very typical for the industry. You, you can construct an industrial building in a very short period of time. So you're able to make that decision with a pretty good window on when you're going to finish, which is different than some other asset classes like building a 50-story office tower. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. I don't know. I, you know, because then you have to think about traffic and, and we have traffic issues. So if, if there were infrastructure that came with it, sure. Do you have traffic issues because of the port or? Uh, we have traffic issues because we're growing as a town and, you know, our roads aren't real wide. We don't have a lot of parking. We don't have a lot of public transportation that gets this far. They usually cut it off at a certain point. So as we're growing, we really need the infrastructure down here to, to support the growth. I would not welcome that. I think it would really increase the noise level and the amount of trucks coming in and out. And uh, it's already pretty noisy here as a resident. We kind of want to keep it quiet like it, like it is this morning. After hearing all of that, what do you think about warehouses now? Are they still big structures that blend into the background? Or are you curious to know more about how they're run? Maybe even hoping to snag a tour? Or would you rather pretend you've never heard about the supply chain, ports, or warehouses and just get that beautiful cashmere sweater at the mall when you decide you want it? We're going to dive into all these questions and more, so stick around for the next portion of the show. I'll be speaking with Eric Foster, Principal Practice Leader, Industrial Capital Markets at Avis & Young. With more than 20 years of experience and $4 billion in transactions, Eric has built a strong track record in the industrial, healthcare, and office property sectors. He's going to guide us on the next leg of our journey with a bird's eye view on the warehouse sector. And just a reminder, Changing Places is a podcast brought to you by Avis & Young that continues to explore and question our complex relationship with the built world around us. I'm your host, Miriam Sobe. I hope you're liking the show so far. Don't forget to follow so you don't miss an episode. And share us with your friends. We're about to meet Eric Foster, Principal Practice Leader, Industrial Capital Markets at Avis & Young. But before we speak to Eric, I want you to take a listen to this. Would you be interested in having a warehouse built closer to the ports or to the residential neighborhoods? Well, obviously, you'd prefer it near the ports. I I don't know. <laughs> you know, more warehouses, I don't know. Probably closer to the ports. Why is that? Uh, I think keep the residences and keep the, 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 the port sort of the business corridor neither but if i had to pick one i would say closer to the ports because the residential areas are already pretty busy with with car and truck traffic and i don't think we would need to increase that at all ports obviously (laughs) why is that well i mean it's a i think it's easier for the transportation to go from the containers and then from there they can be transported to go from the boat to the transport and then to another place it just increases the cost i would think Eric Foster, welcome to Changing Places. Eric, can you tell us what you're seeing as the warehouse industry manages one of the biggest upsets to the sector in decades? 
mostly due to the pandemic. And I, I mean, I can imagine there's a need for space as e-commerce dominates against traditional retail, but finding and identifying new space takes time. So tell us what you've been seeing and hearing. So my focus happens to be from a perspective of the investor or the folks that are own the real estate and the folks that are buying these kinds of facilities. There is demand from tenants for more space because they're utilizing more facilities. They're pushing more goods and services through, through these facilities. The lead times for construction of new facilities is the longest it's ever been in my career. And so it's sometimes even get sort of steel and concrete. We're hearing that the lead times have doubled and tripled. And so what that's doing is it's putting even more pressure on, on tenants and, um, and how they utilize space. Because if they need more, uh, there are plenty of people who want to help them have more space and build new buildings for them. But getting those new buildings built is taking much longer than it ever has. From your experience, who are the main players in warehousing that we may not even think about or, or consider when we talk about warehousing? Well, I think when you're when you when you drive down the road and you see these these big tractor trailers with you know FedEx and things like that on the sides of them and UPS and and all those sorts of players, they're they're doing a lot of the uh, a lot of the work delivering these goods to people through these through this demand. But Amazon is has a number of you know sort of subcontractors that occupy a, a number of spaces or or people that have their own distribution company yet yet use a, a third party like FedEx or UPS or Amazon uh, to help them with their daily business. So sometimes you know it's a local uh, it's a very hyper local distribution business or a small manufacturer that's inexorably linked to one of the larger sort of known names out there. So I think this affects every aspect of the industrial space and it's um it's even you know as we talk about distribution some people try to try to break this up into distribution and then manufacturing. You know, the manufacturing has an element of distribution in it. As many as we're, as things are being made, you know, here or, you know, abroad, they still have to be shipped somewhere once they're made. And they still have, and they have to utilize some sort of distribution network. So I think it's uh, the, the whole warehouse industrial sector is being, uh, is being pushed right now. When it comes to these main players, who are they being led by? Like, would you say it's Fortune 500 companies, investors, the main players in the warehousing industry? You know, what what is uh, pushing that? Who is behind the scenes, I guess? You know, there are there are very significant uh, regional local players that are family owned businesses and sometimes startups that are being run by people in your in your neighborhoods. And then there are the big, massive public companies. So uh, I think of of the there's household names but there's also it's the it's the small regional businesses that probably make up the bulk of this that are having the toughest time with it because they probably have the limited resources and and limited experience to work through some of these challenges. That's interesting. I think we don't always think about uh, smaller businesses cuz when I think of a warehouse I think of just some big mammoth company and I'm going to assume that it's hitting those smaller businesses a lot harder because they are not of the same caliber with all the resources. Yeah, it is and it, it, it hits everybody in many respects and it's but it's also, you know, you think of just a warehouse and you know you you see it you visually in your mind may picture a guy driving a forklift or a truck moving away from a from a dock. Sometimes it's the food business, right? Sometimes it's groceries and there's and or it's food production, right? 
And the distribution of that is being affected in many respects by, uh, by the challenges that we're seeing and, and hearing about in the, uh, in the warehouse business. With all that's been going on and, and sort of the disruption due to the pandemic, what does the future of warehouses look like? Do you see that there's going to be continued growth? I mean, because it, it seems like everything's kind of stalled right now due to some of the supply chain issues. Yeah. So, um, and I'll and I'll lean a little bit more on my my capital markets focus. When investors and these are larger pension funds and larger institutional investors look to invest into the real estate space, they they typically will will allocate funds to different asset classes of, of real estate, multifamily and uh, apartments and office and industrial and retail. And for the most part, industrial historically has always been one of those just sort of steady state investment alternatives that people put a little bit of money into as they as they allocate funds throughout real estate. Well, the pandemic has only grown the trend of investing more into industrial. I have never seen more investment activity and demand activity from investors trying to put money to work in the industrial asset class at any point in time in my career. I don't think that's going to stop. I think that there will be continued pressure and and I don't know that my crystal ball is greater than 12 to 24 months, but I think in the next, you know, in that period of time, I think this is a sort of a sustained investor momentum that's going to continue. I think investors are trying to get in because they see this this growing world and this growing platform of assets and, and development opportunities that's going to be sustained here for the near term. Would you say that we're going to see more growth in big urban markets or somewhere in the middle of the country? Is there specific areas that you're seeing that growth happening already? Or is this just something that it just depends on, I guess, the ebb and flow of the communities? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's more the latter uh, than the former to your question. I, I do believe that there are uh, a lot of companies that are rethinking their logistics nodes. So in other words, do we need to have five facilities throughout the U.S.? Do we need to have, instead of five large facilities, do we want to have 15 smaller facilities? I think those conversations are ongoing. The one thing that that I do think that people are reacting to is population growth, where people are moving to. If there's more population, you probably have to have those goods closer to those folks or be able to distribute closer to those folks. I think that those communities and states that have higher population growth are going to be the ones that are that are going to see more industrial asset growth. That's really fascinating just to see how that impacts things. And what I'm wondering also is, are warehouses a better viable option versus a port, for example, for, for keeping things because there's more land, there's more area to contain things and build things? Or is that just a simplistic view? Let's back up a little bit to your question earlier, because when you think about population growth in areas, there are there are certain markets that are now experiencing traffic difficulties because there's a lot of people, roads were, you know, you just can't add two lanes to a road within a 12-month period. So the congestion around some of these markets, it's, it's putting strain on some of these areas. To your question about ports and things like that, the intermodal business, which is these large facilities within the country that are not close to the ports, I think those will continue to grow and get more busy as things are coming in from the coasts on rail. The port markets are definitely a focus of investors and also of users. 
because of their growth potential. What's happening in, you know, in the West Coast, people are kind of scratching their heads saying, is there a better way to do this? Can we ship this east or do we still need to bring it in from L.A., put it on a, put it on a train and then send it to Chicago to be distributed throughout the east or things like this? So I think all of those things are, are being reconsidered, as I, as I said earlier. But because of the, the imports that we are doing, ports are certainly becoming much more industrial-centric and, and they've got a, a lot of investor and user interest. Is there anything that you're looking forward to or that, that excites you about this industry looking forward, looking ahead? Yeah, I think, I think there's so many cool things going on inside of these boxes that we build. And a lot of folks, and Amazon's one of them, there are others that are building multi-story robotic facilities that are distribution facilities. So sometimes when you drive by on the highway and you see, wow, there's this big massive warehouse over there. It's just, you think it's, there's guys in forklifts just moving stuff around. It may not be. It could be fully automated. And I, I think that there's also a point in time where we start to see how costs are going more vertical right utilizing vertical space more efficiently as opposed to just trying to gather more acreage and going laterally and just buying the farm next door and expanding the building right so i think those are going to be really really cool to see how those uh, those trends evolve i'm excited to see that there's a lot of different sort of investment activity coming into the space as well because i i do think it's uh, for the long term going to be a very very good place to invest I'd like to thank Jeff Miller and Eric Foster for taking the time to guide us through the exciting and quite dynamic world of warehouses. The next time I see one on the freeway, I'll probably think about it more in depth and try to understand what went into the structure and what exactly is going on inside. In our next episode, we're going into the shopping mall. Are malls dead? Or have the rumors of their demise been greatly exaggerated? I don't want to give anything away, but... I think the answer may, no, it will surprise you. I'm Miriam Sobin. This is Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young. See places changing and evolving in your neighborhood? Share your evolving spaces with us on social media using the hashtag Changing Places Podcast. I'm Miriam Sobe, and this is Changing Places. Changing Places is brought to you by Avis and Young. Our producer is Andrew Pemberton Fowler. Our sound engineer is Patrick Emil. Our production assistant is Gabriella Mrozowski. Additional production support is provided by JAR Audio.